Welcome to Foolish Voices, a Company of Fools podcast. Company of Fools is a professional theater based in Sun Valley, Idaho, and is a proud part of the Sun Valley Museum of Art. More information on Company of Fools and the museum can be found online at svmoa.org. Welcome to Foolish Voices. I'm Scott Palmer, Producing Artistic Director of Company of Fools. And on this show, we talk to a wide range of theater artists, both here in Sun Valley and all across the world, about how the current global health crisis is impacting their work, about their creative lives, and about their hopes for the futures of our art form. Please consider supporting Company of Fools by making a donation in any amount via our podcast platform or online at svmoa.org. In this episode, I have the great pleasure of speaking with Idaho-based new member of the Foolish family, actor Alexis Ulrich. Lexi is a Las Vegas native who came to Idaho when she was just five years old and has been performing on stage ever since. Lexi's main passion is acting, but in her spare time, she loves singing, playing piano, and spending quality time with her friends and family. She's worked with a variety of theater companies in Idaho for 15 years and is a graduate of Twin Falls High School. She has her associate degree in liberal arts from the College of Southern Idaho and is currently pursuing her bachelor's degree in theater from Idaho State University. This past year, Lexi had the great privilege of performing in two shows with Company of Fools as Lydia Wickham in Miss Bennett Christmas at Pemberley and Zoe in The Niceties. Some of her other favorite roles include Queen Elizabeth I in Shakespeare in Love, Dolores in Sister Act, Elizabeth Proctor in The Crucible, and Ursula in The Little Mermaid. Lexi is also a new and proud member of Actors' Equity, and despite not currently having a lot of work due to the COVID virus, she is excited and hopeful for the future. Welcome to Foolish Voices, Lexi. I miss your face. Thank you so much for having me and including me in this. Of I miss your face. You're a fool. You're a member of the Foolish family, girl. You, I mean, we we couldn't do it without you. Where are you right now? I am currently in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Why? Why? Um, Why are you in Cedar Rapids, <laughs> Iowa? <laughs> That's the question everybody's been asking me. They're like, why Iowa? Um, and it's just, uh, I've just been going, going, going. Um, and I've always been a busy person and I've never really uh, taken a break. And so I decided to come out here and uh, my aunt graciously uh, let me live with her um, and just let me get back to better health as well. Good. Well, that is very kind of her. Are you being a good house guest? And oh yes, a good a good niece and a good oh cousin? definitely uh-huh. definitely. Are you for real? <laughs> Sometimes I'm a pain. Sometimes I'm a pain. I'm not gonna lie. So uh, why why did you? I'm gonna ask you this question, even though I know the answer to it. Why did you need a rest, Lexi? You because you were back to back doing shows with Company of Fools and not in school and instead working with us is that sort of why? Uh, definitely no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, it was really tough, but it was the greatest experience of my life doing that with you. Uh, and also, I um, about two weeks after I moved here, uh, I was hospitalized for double lung pneumonia. Um, and then I was hospitalized again for hypokalemia because I had a chance of going septic. Um, and then uh, <laughs> I had a concussion from that car accident I was in in February. 
and I just was really sick for a long time and I didn't know it. Like, I think I lost 60 pounds from January until now without trying and it's crazy. Uh, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) All the drama in the world. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, but you're feeling better now? Yes, sorry, I thought it was important to add. Yeah, yeah no, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to, I just, I'm worried about you. Like, I knew you hadn't, you hadn't been well, but I didn't realize, I mean, you've been holding that pretty close to your chest there, lady. Like, yeah. actual reality of the, you know, concussion, oh my gosh. Yeah, no, I'm doing a lot better. Um, a lot better than I was. It was really scary. I'd never uh, been in the hospital like that. Um, and you had to go in, you you were in and then you went out and then you had to go back in, right? Yeah. And none of this is COVID-19 related. Like none of this was the, the virus. Well, so they were, so my, they did test me for COVID and it came back negative, but um, then uh, they had me on the COVID isolation floor because they said, it could have still been COVID. It could still come back with a negative test, um, a false negative test, but they refused to test me again, um, which was just crazy. So I, they do think that I probably did have COVID, yes. <sighs> and as soon as they heard I was from um, Blaine County, that I had just come from Blaine County, right. there was like, there's no way we can put you on a regular floor for now. And that's because while sort of while you had been here, even though the, the, the pandemic hadn't sort of really hit that, I mean, you kind of left right before we shut down. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's because Blaine County where we are located, where company of fools is located in the mountains, beautiful mountains of central Idaho. There was a time when we had basically one of the highest per capita infection rates in the country. Yeah, it was crazy. I saw that and I was so worried about you guys. Well, we immediately went into lockdown and, you know, all of the fools and everybody from the museum. I mean, we've been taking this all very seriously. So, uh, I mean, the good news is that I basically have been stuck at home with Brian and (laughs) Mac and Agnes, my cat. Uh, So, yeah, you know, they're good. They're good pets. That including my husband. (laughs) They're all... (laughs) So what have you been doing to keep yourself busy or have you just not been being being busy at all? You're just kind of relaxing and chilling. No, so it was funny. So um, when I was in the hospital and stuff, um, I was actually like going over the script in my head um, from the niceties just to keep myself entertained. Um, And then I pulled it up on my phone and started reading it and was going over things that I would change in the hospital bed. And then I've obviously been watching Tiger King like crazy. I've watched it a million times. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I'm so obsessed with it, but I what? love that documentary. <laughs> what is the deal with you and Tiger King? I don't know. I, they're just all such characters, and it's so crazy that that happened at that zoo. And also, <laughs> Carol Baskin did kill her husband. Okay. Okay. You've heard, you heard it here first, everybody. 
Lexi is a hundred percent certain based on her multiple viewings of Tiger King. <laughs> Uh, I didn't know that you were like an investigative reporter in addition to being an incredibly talented artist and performer. I didn't know. Stop, thank you. (laughs) Um, Yes, I'm going into business. So if anybody needs an investigator, let me know. (laughs) Okay, Uh, I will totally hire you. Um, So you, I, I, first of all, we all love you and miss you and we're so happy you're well. Um, I mean, you very quickly became a, a member of the Fools family. Talk, just, could you tell people about how you first got introduced to Company of Fools? Yes. Uh, so in high school, uh, my theater teacher, James Haycock, uh, took a group of us on a bus up to Haley to see August Osage County. Um, and I went and saw the show. I fell in love with the theater space and all the actors up there. Um, it was just the most incredible show I had ever seen in my entire life. Um, and I think I was a senior in high school at that time. Um, and I was like, I have got to work here one day. I have got to work here one day. Um, and then I saw that you guys were having auditions. And then I saw um, a couple shows that I was interested in and, uh, roles that I might be good for and so I was like okay I'm just gonna go and try and do it and look what happened (laughs) (laughs) so literally you drove how long a drive is it to get here from where you go to school which is in Pocatello right oh yes um what three and a half hours so you drove three and a half hours you are still in your undergraduate degree you're currently pursuing your bachelor's degree right Correct. So you drove three and a half hours to come to Haley, Idaho to audition for basically a 20 minute audition in the desperate hopes that that you would be cast in a show at Company of Fools. Exactly. How'd that work out for you? Uh, fantastic. <laughs> I when, when I got those emails, I literally screamed and I was crying like this has been it was a huge dream of mine. Um, and I got to meet, you know, some of the, the idols that I had seen in August Osage County. Denise Simone, obviously uh, Jana. Uh, it was crazy. It, I, dream come true. So um, tell, tell our listeners just a little bit about your kind of early life in history. So you were, were you born in Las Vegas and you lived in Las Vegas and then moved here when you were five? Yes. Um, I was born in Las Vegas. Yep. Yes. (laughs) Yes. You can correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) No, that is definitely correct. Um, I go ahead. No, I'm just, and please, if this is a stupid question and you don't want to answer it, I, I think you and I have talked about this before. But, you know, people have this sort of perception of Idaho and particularly kind of the Twin Falls area that, you know, not the most diverse community on the planet. Um, And as a woman of color, what was it like kind of growing up at such a young age in a community like Twin Falls? Uh, To be honest, it was very difficult. Um, For most of my life, I was pretty sheltered and so... Uh, I didn't realize how hard it was. Um, and then when my parents passed away and that shelter kind of wasn't there anymore, um, I saw a lot. I saw, it was heartbreaking. Um, I 
sorry, I'm trying to gather my thoughts. That's okay. Um, it was, it was really hard. And that's kind of why I got into theater too, just because uh, my sister is on the spectrum. And so I was very protective of her from a very young age as well. And so it was very hard to find a place where we fit in um, and were accepted. Uh, and when we started theater at this little company, Madge Valley School of Performing Arts, we were immediately accepted and loved and embraced. And I found that through every theater company I've worked with. And I love that. Um, so that was like my saving grace, but uh, there would be blatant racism and microaggressions and um, run-ins with college professors that I've dealt with, just crazy stuff. I mean, you and I have talked a lot about that experience. And I mean, I just, you know, this, I suppose this is going to sound super patronizing, but the fact that you were able to not only move here, you had, you know, your, the challenges around your family, being in a very conservative and predominantly white community, you know, it's, it's so ridiculous to say, but you are among my biggest heroes. I think the fact that you saw theater, you knew exactly that that's where you wanted to be and you have pursued it like a maniac. Like you are, <laughs> is that a fair description? Like you are on it. You are all about the theater. Oh yes. I live, <laughs> breathe and eat theater. Theater is everything. It keeps me going. Um, it's my favorite thing in the entire world. Do you know why? Uh, I'm still figuring it out. I just think because I've, people are so accepting and so kind and generous, um, the theater community is. And I love seeing other people's artwork and the impact and change it can make on society. Like theater, I believe can change the world. It does change the world. Um, and it makes people see things through different perspectives. And just the magic theater brings, it's magical to me. It's like going to Disneyland. <laughs> Except you're one of the princesses. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and long may I reign. It's so true. I, I, I absolutely would live in a kingdom where you were the queen. Um, so talk, talk a little bit about your experience of just working with Company of Fools on the two shows that you were in. I mean, really different performances, right? The first is sort of this... Jane Austen, Miss Bennett, Christmas at Pemberley, um, you know, kind of heightened language and very period and sort of very festive. And then you also performed as Zoe in The Niceties. Just can you talk a little bit about just your experience of working on those two shows? Yes, definitely. Um, vastly different, like you said. It went from a cast to like, oh, how many? Six, eight. I think. Eight. 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 eight to a cast. Uh, eight in Miss Bennett to two people in the niceties and that was just crazy in general um but like you said with Miss Bennett um that was a challenge all in itself I love the show very much and the cast um but the heightened language and um just figuring out my role was kind of difficult to navigate but you guys were so welcoming and open um with Miss Bennett uh, the most difficult thing for me was the heightened language. Um, and I think Anne 
the dialect coach was so helpful and so amazing um, and got me to a place where I felt comfortable. Um, I had done dialect work before and dialect classes, but um, not to the level that company fools uh, <laughs> expects. Slightly higher expectations, you think? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, but my dialect now is great. So. It's true. You nailed um, it. <laughs> and, um, oh, and the cast of Miss Bennett, I learned so much from them um, just because I was so new to the world. Um, they embraced me with open arms. These people who have been acting for years and years and years um, were just so helpful and insightful. And I love them so much. They were so very dear to my heart. Um, and then, um, oh, also with Lydia, um, I think there was a point in the rehearsal process where I just had to let go just because I was struggling with it so much. And you were very, so helpful um, with me and so patient with me on that. Um, and when I did finally let go and had permission to just be Lydia, um, I got out of my head and it was such a beautiful process and everybody was so supportive. Um, and then with the niceties, that was yeah, a talk beast. About a, talk about a dip, talk about a turn, right? Talk about a change in tone. Can you just sort of give our listeners, people who might not be familiar with the niceties as a play, can you just give us a quick kind of overview of, of what the deal yes. was with that play? Um, yes. So the niceties written by Eleanor Burgess, a fantastic writer. Um, it is about a call, a young black college student who meets with, um, her professor, um, her, oh my gosh, this is awful. What professor was she? She was history. A, yes. A history professor. <laughs> oh my, they're not, I'm not going to get another job with you guys. <laughs> um, history professor to discuss a paper and the discussion, um, turns into, a broad discussion of race um, and uh, what a revolution looks like, uh, what history looks like, who, what should we, what type of history should uh, teachers be teaching. Um, it's a powerhouse play, a beautiful play. Um, yeah, do you have anything to add to that? No, I mean, I think that's exactly right. I think you know, for us, it was, for the fools, it was a, it was kind of a risky choice, right, to sort of tell this story that's very supercharged, and it's essentially a debate play about who has the right to tell the history of America, what is that history, um, lots of intergenerational conflict, sort of feminist conflict, obviously yeah. race, race charged race stuff. I, it has everything, I mean, just, even if it was, like, little bits of topics discussed, like, she discussed so many things in that play and it was a play that like you said a debate play that really made you think you compared it to playing I think chess mm -hmm. um, and I think that accurately describes that play um, yeah and you and your your co-star Claudia McCain who is a, a legend here in town I, one of the things that I loved most about that production is the, even though it was hard and the process was difficult, I loved watching the two of you, two very, very different 
actors with different experiences, different backgrounds, how quickly the two of you became so close. Would you agree that that was the case? Definitely. Claudia was so kind to me. She was so unbelievably kind. She took me under her wing. Um, and before the show had even started, she made it a point to come up and introduce herself after seeing Miss Bennett um, and just say, hey, I'm Claudia. And she also um, sent me a book on revolutions. Um, and we discussed that as well. And that was nice. And we had a couple phone calls before rehearsal started. Um, and Claudia and I would call each other on the phone every day to go over the script for the niceties. Otherwise, our performance would be off <laughs> that <laughs> night. Um, but she really became my best friend um, d during that time. And I still consider her a very dear friend now. But even with the age difference, she was still my very best friend. Yeah, she felt the same way about you. It made me, it it made me super happy to just... I mean, it's so it can be challenging in plays like that where you are, you know, sort of playing opposite opposite each other, and two characters that are so angry and aggressive and wounded by each other can be really hard to keep um, to sort of separate that from the relationship you have with a colleague, right? Uh, and so it was just so great how I just think you were both so loving and kind and generous with each other. It just, yeah, it, it was super helpful for me to not have to deal with a bunch of crazy egos and also <laughs> complications and difficulties with the actors. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've told you that before. I just loved how, how well you guys work together. Um, how important is it for you as an artist to do those kinds of shows, right? Those kinds of social justice focused, hard questions, big debate shows. Um, very important. I think that's one of the things that matters most to me. Um, if I love theater that's challenging and, and is going to push you, uh, towards seeing a different perspective, um, and has a huge impact on society, I, it has meaning, it has value, and that's irreplaceable. Um, I love doing shows like that. Those are my absolute favorite. Um, even though I think they're some of the hardest plays to do, I wouldn't trade that for the world. And are you also, I mean, in addition to doing sort of straight drama, you also have a, lot, a long history of being involved in musical theater too, right? Yes, I love musicals. <laughs> I do. You know how I feel about that. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I'm going to let you have your opinion. It's fine. I don't... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what what do you what do you think is going to happen to us Lexi like what what it's all so crazy right now every place is shut down we don't know when we're going to be able to open are we going to do social distance seating I mean I was thinking about very specifically thinking about the niceties and about the scene at the the, the moment at the end of the first act where you guys get into the fight over the cell phone Oh, yeah. And I don't know that we would be able to do that scene right now because of social distancing. You're so close to each other, right? Like, oh my you, God. Right? Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Um, do you think maybe actors would have to, like, actors would quarantine together for that? They would have to quarantine together if they were doing shows like that together? Uh, you know, I think those are, those are some of the questions. And I, I, I'm hearing... 
you know, our friends at Utah Shakespeare, you know, a great organization that does a huge, you know, huge summer event. They're shut down, even though they had planned uh, a summer, you know, summer festival like they normally do. And one of the things they had put into place was all of the visiting artists who were coming in to do work would be quarantined together for 14 days before rehearsals started. Oh my gosh. Right? Yeah, but I mean, that's insane. That (laughs) That blows my mind that this is happening and that we're living through this. But I think, um, theater is always adapted and always adjusted to change. And I think whatever we have to do in order to keep creating that experience um, in theater and art, I think that will happen. I think whether that be through social distancing, um, social distance seating or um, having actors quarantine together or um, regular checkups, um, having like a thermometer, um, and a symptom checker, um, daily for actors and patrons. I mean, whatever theater needs to do, it's going to be done. We've always done it, right? Like that's always been, that's always been our way. We always figure out a way to put stuff on stage. What are you, what are you worried about as a performer? I mean, you're so close to finishing your bachelor's degree, You've just become a member of Actors Equity, and now all of a sudden, every theater on the planet is shut down, right? Yeah. Great timing, Lex. Good job. I know. (laughs) I was like, I was so ecstatic, too. I was like, this is it. My career is just finally going to take off. I'm going to audition for so many things. Um, I wanted to audition for OSF, but obviously, they had um, canceled their season. Um, I'm just worried the impact it's going to have, I mean, it's already, we've already seen the impact. Some theaters have been closing, seasons have been canceled. Um, That's just my biggest worry though, is that how, how are those theaters going to stay open? How are we able to profit off that? How, I mean, cause I've seen um, actors on Broadway, um, have financial struggles right now and I I just didn't even realize that that was a possibility so this the gravity of this situation terrifies me yeah I mean yes I I think the same thing I've talked to a number of people on this podcast who live in New York and are on Broadway and who are like look we're done like we're shut down these are you know and and also there are no opportunities for actors who sometimes have second jobs and most of those jobs need to be flexible. So they're working at a coffee shop or a bar or a restaurant, right? That those are all shut down, right? That all that stuff, it's just, it's, it's really, it's really terrifying for me to think about young emerging artists like yourself trying to make a go of having a career at this and finding yourself without opportunities to develop your skills, right? Like Definitely. That makes me most nervous. Definitely. And I look every day for work and then it says, um, canceled, 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 canceled. We're closing our doors. Um, and then I have friends, um, theater friends from college who, uh, when they had to make the transition from in-class learning to going online, it was very hard for them and they're terrified. Um, 
how are we going to get work? How are we going to sustain ourselves? Is this even a good field to go into anymore? Mm-hmm. Um, why aren't we considered essential? Uh, so many things. It breaks my heart. And do you, do you feel like, I mean, I think we agree on this, but do you feel like theater artists and performing artists are essential during this time? 1000%. I think we are. I think that's what we turn to. Um, or it's what I've always turned to in times of um, trouble in my life. I look to theater to inspire and guide me um, and help make sense of the world. Um, and I think so do other people. I mean, people like Tiger King, people are binge watching Tiger King and- <laughs> Not as uh, much as you are. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but I think people turn to the arts. I do. I think that's very, we are essential. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I think it's, it's, I just want everybody to remember, right? Where over the last nine weeks, what did you do while you were stuck at home? You turned to Netflix, you watched shows, you listened to podcasts, you listened to your favorite musicians, you downloaded audiobooks, right? Like all of those things that are kind of keeping us feeling engaged and energized and connected all of those things are made by artists right like yes yes we we're pretty essential what do you hope happens I mean this this is such a, a crazy time but it is also such a time of potential change in our industry and I'm you know I'm I'm an old guy I've been doing this for a long time I've been doing this longer than you've been alive like um, you say that to me every time. I know it's true because you're such a baby. You are the future of theater, so that's good. Uh, but but you know what what would you want American theater to do with this time? How do you want us to change as an industry in advance of you sort of coming, you and your friends and your colleagues and and this sort of emerging group of artists? What does American theater need to do? with the time that we have. Does that make sense? Kind of, yes. Um, uh, I, can you explore? Yeah, here's what I'm trying to, here's what I'm trying to ask. We are forced to be thoughtful right now. American theater has an opportunity to change the way we work. What kinds of changes would you as an emerging new artist in theater what kind of changes do you want to see in our industry? Better wages, less rehearsal time, right? Like what, what, are the, what are the changes you think we could implement to make American theater better? Um, definitely, oh, I had a list. <laughs> I made a long list. Um, I, I think... Um, to, for American theater to be more inclusive, um, and cause some theaters, um, don't even have, um, wheelchair accessibility. And I think, um, that was a thing that was bugging me. Um, and so hopefully when we come back, they'll take a look at that. That's just one of my pet peeves that I have to get out. Um, and also for, um, sorry, my thoughts are all scattered brain, that, scatterbrained okay. today. I'm, th- I'm throwing a million things at you. It's totally fine. Um, I think for people who, um, like, what am I trying to say? Um, for 
I think we are seeing a change um, personally, um, inclusive wise in the way to how theater is reaching more people. Um, I think with technology, uh, technology is gonna be a huge impact right now um, because for people who have, who are having a hard time getting to um, auditions or like in-person auditions, it's more accessible to them because of technology and because of online auditions. Um, I don't know what it was like before this, but um, I've seen a huge, um, a lot of theaters turning to online casting and online auditions um, and doing theater online um, and doing performances on Zoom and making that available to the public um, I think that is so unbelievably cool because my aunt, um, she has Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And so it's really hard for her to even go places. And so um, the only place she'd ever seen was one of my plays in high school. And now she's been able to see thousands of shows um, because of uh, Zoom and Broadway.com. And it blows my mind. Um, I don't feel like I've been in the industry long enough to know what needs to be changed. All of those things you just said are absolutely crucial. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I brought up I brought up the example of you driving three and a half hours to get here to audition for a reason, right? Because I don't think that it would have made a difference at all if you had been able to zoom in an audition. I still think we would have cast you, right? And it would have saved you about seven hours of round trip time, all the mileage, all the gas, it would have been better for the environment, right? Like that is that is not an impossible thing to do. And the only reason American theater is really requiring people to do in-person auditions is because that's the way we've always done it. Yes, okay. and so, and your professor, well, my professors have always told me that if there is an audition in person, do not send a video and you have to go to that audition because it's been looked down upon. Right. Um, and now that's our only option. Right. Yeah. And I love the fact that your, your aunt is who, you know, doesn't normally have a chance to get out to see theater. You know, you, you were talking about accessibility, right? Like it's not just about wheelchair accessibility in physical buildings. It's also, also about why isn't American theater being provided to people who are homebound or unable to travel exactly who have difficulty sitting in theater seats for two hours or whatever right like those are not reasons that those audience members are should be denied access to the life-changing experience of live theater right we can figure this out we've been forced to and it hasn't taken us that long you know it's only been nine weeks and we're already producing all this stuff <laughs> online, right? like because yeah yeah, it blows my mind. And especially for people who are immunocompromised because they're going to have to take an extra look at that. How can we go back to theater? How can we do it for the safety of others? And I, yeah, I think it's forcing us to do what should have been done a long time ago. See? Some things, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I think you're exactly right. I think so much of what has become standard practice in the American theater is standard practice because we're just not bothered to try and change it. And we haven't really been forced to kind of take any of that seriously. 
And now we're all panicked trying to figure out how to survive. And we're already doing things that we should have been doing 10 years ago to increase access and to make people feel more comfortable and invited. And right. Like I think. Go ahead. I, I'm just, I'm sad there are going to be a lot of theaters that are going to close, but that makes me sad. And of course it's a de devastating, terrible pandemic, but if there is a silver lining of any kind for American theater, it is for us to take this time to figure out why have we been doing this the way this way all along? Is it just because we had to, or it was, was it because we were lazy and didn't want to change? Right. Right. Um, and I remember, sorry, this is like a tangent, but no, go for um, it. I remember um, my mom had breast cancer and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome as well. And so she was really immunocompromised. And so it was really hard for her to um, go places. Um, and so she would miss, um, when she started getting really sick, she did miss two of my performances and it crushed my heart. It broke me. Um, she was never able to see it. And I think now she would have had a chance to. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I see. I mean, I think at the end of the day, if we're not, if we're not going to think about these things intentionally, if the only thing that is gonna make us consider these questions, I, I think it, I'm a little bit, I have a little bit of gratitude that we've been forced to think about, is theater accessible? Are we doing this right? Why should we make a young, talented artist drive for a seven and a half hour round trip, right? Like, why should we have to do that? It just, I, I don't, it doesn't feel like there's any good reason for it. And I just hope everybody takes the time to kind of really be thoughtful and think about particularly what it means for emerging artists like yourself, right? Like you are amazing. You're incredibly gifted, very hardworking, super talented. And we, I worry that this crisis is going to mean that people like you and artists of your immense talent and uniqueness are just not going to find a way in. Right. And we, and we need your voice in the American theater so much, Lexi, um, that, yeah, I just, I just want us to make sure the doors remain open to people like you and for people like you and for audiences that deserve to see you. Thank you so much. Whatever. You know, I love you. You're amazing. <laughs> Shut up. That doesn't come as any surprise to you. <laughs> You're like, yeah, he loves me. It's all good. <laughs> Well, <laughs> I, I, I miss you and I'm so glad that we had a chance to connect. And what, do you have any idea when you're coming back to, to Idaho? Uh, probably in uh, late July or early August. And do you, is that because you, you think, I mean, have they announced whether or not classes are going to be back in session or? So right now they are planning on school resuming as normal. Um, I'm not sure if um, they're going to switch it to online. And that is a possibility that I do have to keep in the back of my mind. But hopefully I'm planning on returning to school in the fall. Good. Good. Well, it'll be nice to have you back in Idaho. Yes, definitely. And I could come see shows. Absolutely. And hang out and say hi to the cat. Yes. Who loves you and misses you. My cat loves you and misses you. I love Agnes so much. <laughs>
Well, thank you for joining us. My name is Scott Palmer. I'm producing artistic director of Company of Fools, and you have been listening to Foolish Voices. On today's episode, we're talking with one of my favorite people on the planet, Idaho-based actor Alexis Ulrich. She's a Las Vegas native, but she's been in Idaho since just she was just five years old. She recently finished performing two shows in Company of Fools' 24th season as Lydia Wickham in Miss Bennett, Christmas at Pemberley, and as Zoe in The Niceties. Um, she is also a proud member of Actors Equity. So if you're looking for equity actors, you know how to. You, you're going to know how to hit her up. You're going to find be able to find her. Just let me know, and I'll put you in touch. Um, hey, thank you so much for joining us, Lexi. And will you uh, give give my love to your family and tell them thank you for taking care of you. Oh, thank you so much, Scott. Give my love to Brian and everybody I, at the Fools. I will indeed. They'll all listen to this podcast, so you can tell them yourself. Will do. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.